Welcome to the Jill on Money Coronavirus Market Update. It is Saturday, August 1st. And this weekend, we've got a great interview with a friend of mine. His name is Dane Holmes. I met him uh, a long time ago. We were on a board together, and his career has been so fascinating. He is an HR professional, if you can believe it. Yes, there are normal people who go into that side of the business. They tend to be wonderful people who we don't really respect when everything's just poking around and going as is. And then when really crazy issues flare up or where we see discrepancies in the workplace, then we need them. So Dane worked at Goldman Sachs for many years and now has gone to help found a company called Escalera. So we're going to talk about his effort to improve diversity and inclusion by starting this company and his own experience as well. So here's my interview with Dane Holmes. So Dane, uh, full disclosure, Dane and I serve on the board of a nonprofit together. That's how I know you. But you also were a very early in this idea that you have to like actually care about the people in an organization. So can you tell us a little bit about, before we talk about the new company, tell us a little bit about you and your career. Because when I first met you, you were working at a place called Goldman Sachs. So what's the story of Dane Holmes? What's the uh, or- the origin story? Sure. I'll try and give you a, a, a brief one. Uh, so just a little bit of background. My background is, uh, you know, my dad is black. My mom is white. I grew up down in Atlanta. And when I was young, I wanted to be an architect. And so I ended up going to New York City in large case uh, because I said it was the first place I'd ever been where I didn't really feel my race. I, I just felt like people wanted me to get out of the way because they were on, the, on their way somewhere. But that felt great. <laughs> so, so as I stared up at these giant buildings, but uh, I originally I got my degree in architecture. But after doing an internship, thought this might not be the career path that I wanted. So I ended up going to Wall Street really just because largely I was in New York. And I fell in love with it for really two reasons. Uh, one, the analytical rigor, uh, that was part of it. And two, because it really was a industry that required both EQ dealing with people as well as IQ. And I guess that was the beginning of me realizing that what I really enjoyed about work, what I thought really made the difference or was a differentiator was people and wanting to work with people, invest in people, build people and have organizations that were people centric. So uh, that kind of drove my career for for a long time. You know, when you hear about this, when you hear people, person, or HR, you know, there there have been times in in the past where people kind of roll their eyes, like, "Oh, HR." So, can you talk a little bit about how the industry itself evolved, like the idea of managing people, and and what you found in your career? Yeah, so there, there, there's a lot of cycles and trends around that that are that are actually pretty fascinating. Uh, I think it's important to remember that HR largely grew. If you go way back, it grew out of something called personnel. And if you think about personnel, uh, even in just the language around it, it was more about the process of hiring people, the process of having to pay them, and it had certainly had an overtone uh, to it that was much more about managing the risk as opposed to managing the upside. What I think is, is that there's just been this long evolution within the profession, within people's perspectives of how they think about it, uh, to the point where, you know, the phrase that you often use are people are our most important asset, but this journey to fulfill that comment, to uh, make it an actuality that when you say people are our most valuable asset, you actually treat it as your most valuable asset. And I think that's a journey that the, you know, the industry is still on. The one thing that I can say about HR professionals 
is they care deeply, deeply about their work. They're passion-based people, and they care deeply about um, making sure people can reach their potential. So from that perspective, I've seen that the whole time. That's kind of a cool way to actually think about it. I think that the interesting part of this is that, you know, you also, as a mixed-race person, come to this whole expression around where we are today in the national conversation with a lot of experience. Was it surprising to you? I know you'd left Goldman Sachs by the time this year's events occurred, but has it been surprising to you to hear the corporate response to the killings, the the marches? Like, What is it that's sort of like the upside and downside of this? I mean, I think on on one level, it shouldn't be surprising. And, and, you know, we can certainly talk a lot about all of the breadcrumbs that would make you lead you to the view that this should have been and it made sense that this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. As far as, you know, corporate America's response, I think that's a journey that they're still on. Um, Certainly, I think it's valuable that they that they took some of the actions that they did, which were, you know, letters of support, writing uh, checks to philanthropies, et cetera. But to be frank, those are the pretty easy steps to take. You know, the much, much harder step will be uh, looking in the mirror, looking at your own organization and your own processes and see where you've underdelivered or underperformed on attaining that goal of being a, a meritocracy, attaining that goal of uh, allowing people to bring their whole selves to work. And, and that is a major work in progress, I think, for corporate America, because while it's been um, something that, you know, a lot of people have talked about for a long time. I think there's very few organizations who've made it a top priority. And I think there's very few organizations who've probably invested the amount of time and money required to make the change that they need to make uh, at this stage. So they're in early innings of their journey. Can you talk a little bit about the difference, the the carrot and the stick approach? Because obviously for years, uh, it, certainly in financial services and, and throughout corporate America, they, you know, everyone's, oh, we've got to do better. We, we really do. And it's really, you know, we'd like you to do this, or we'd like you to be on this committee, or we want to do that. And yet, you know what? I keep thinking to myself, if we said to everyone, let's just use the financial services industry. If we said your bonus is predicated on how many, whether your team reflects the population base or not, people would figure out how to hire more black and brown people and women. I think that that's true on one level. I think there is a a bit of a complexity with it. The part that's true is that, you know, I definitely am fully in the camp, which is in part why we've uh, created the inclusion index at Escalera, that you can't change what you don't measure. And so platitudes and speeches without, you know, hardcore measurement, and that measurement isn't just in your performance, but that's measurement applied to how you're compensated, et cetera, is a really big part of, uh, of the formula and, and one that's been missing. And we all know, I mean, since I was little, I was growing up, you know, my, my parents told me, you do that, there's going to be consequences. And we all know that when there's real consequences, you, you, you have real behavior change. So I believe in both of those. The one thing that I will say that I, I believe in uh, deeply as well is a concept of strength-based learning. And that while it's great to have the stick, we should really be having this conversation around how having uh, supporting uh, diversity and inclusion will make you a better organization, how it aligns you more with being a a meritocracy, how it is correlated more to being a high performer. When you think about our inclusion index, which has four components of it, it has uh, trust, voice, belonging, and growth mindset. 
all four of those characters, which are core from our view of, of an inclusive environment, are also core with being a high-performance environment. I think we have to talk about what's to be gained, not um, just you know maybe what has been lost uh, in the process, and, and that's a mind shift for folks. All right, so let's talk about the new place, which is called Escalera, which I kind of want to make it Italian, but I don't know what is what does Escalera mean. It's it, it's a different language. It's Spanish for elevate. So uh, so for us, it's uh, we we have the tagline that we want to engage, empower, and elevate, and that is really our goal. That uh, through this work, we're not just. Uh, elevating women and brown people and people of different sexual orientation were elevating organizations and cultures. I'm on the website, began as a passion project for co-founder Tom Chavez, who is the brother of your former colleague, Marty Chavez, right? Correct. Correct. That's correct. What got you involved in this? Why leave Goldman Sachs? You are making piles of money. Are you insane? Why would you leave? Yeah. So, I mean, I think life is all about, you know, fulfilling different passions and variety as uh, corny as it sounds. I believe a diverse life is also a well-lived life. And, you know, one thing that was always true, and maybe this is the part of my early dreams of being an architect that played through. I love building things. Uh, most of my career that I spent at Goldman Sachs, I was either building or renovating um, something within the organization. And, you know, I got to the stage in my life where, you know, sitting there as the head of HR at Goldman Sachs, where I saw this giant problem of this lack of uh, the leveraging of data in solving uh, uh, the problems that most CHROs face. I also saw that a lot of the technology that was being used wasn't really geared around the employee, wasn't truly putting the employee at the center. And I felt like that was a big mistake. So I had a, a choice in my mind. I could stay at Goldman Sachs, a firm you know that I love, that's been great to me, and try and change it with that organization. Or I could build a company that's going to change it for multiple. And I just found myself attracted to the latter. And so... Uh, just the change, uh, just the change started. You know, you've got a bunch of data points on here on um, about how companies that are more diverse are, you know, basically going to make more money, hit financial goals. All of that being said, what has been the barrier? I mean, because we've always heard this. We've heard this about like, oh, if you have more women on boards, companies perform better. And yet there are not as many women on boards. So what is this wall that is up in corporate America? There's a bunch of uh, challenges. First and foremost, in the busy demands that any organization is facing, I don't think you can drive any sort of systemic change. And let's just be clear, this is about systemic change. This is not about tweaking things. This is, you know, overhauling the whole system. If it's not a top, you know, one or two priority and it's not heavily invested in over time, you're not going to get that change. So, you know, one just pure problem has been the, the lack of prioritization and the lack of investment into the into the area. The other challenge of it is that obviously corporate America lives within a system and that system supports the behavior. Um, and so it's hard even within your own system to fight a broader system that's around you, which is which is a challenge. But the one thing that I think is the most interesting one, at least for me, uh, in thinking about what has been a challenge, and it's really, it's really two points, one is just this idea that a lot of leaders within corporate America have no proximity really to diversity. It's not how they spend their time. It's not who who they're invested with. I've um, had a bunch of conversation with um, leaders of mine who are white men who are like, hey, Dane, like, uh, you know, I want to do more. I want to figure this out more. 
And, you know, I've often said a pretty simple phrase. I said, well, you know, the black population, to use that example, is 13 percent of the population. Are you devoting 13 percent of your time, energy and money with that population? And if you're and if you're not, if you're not, you don't have proximity to it. And, you know, it's been, you know, a cause for reflection in a lot of the conversations that I've had. So I think proximity is a big one. The last one is is the classic uh, ego um, challenge, which, you know, is always a problem whenever human beings are messing up. A part of it has to do with ego. You know, when you say to somebody that the system isn't fair or that you benefit from privilege, the challenge is, is that people's immediate response is some version of, I worked hard to get where I was. You don't know what I had to go through. You don't know where I came from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you've heard this mantra before. But there's this lack of, of acknowledgement that there's three things that drive anybody's success, you know, talent, luck, and effort. And the biggest of those is always luck. And privilege is about making you more lucky. Um, and it doesn't mean that you didn't work hard and it doesn't negate that you have talent. But the fact that the most important thing in life is luck and that privilege is a massive advantage in the category of luck, people struggle with that because it goes against their own identity of like, I earned this, I made this, I created this. Okay. That was part one of the interview with Dane Holmes. Tomorrow in that episode, we're going to really focus on pay inequality, whether it's racial or gender, and how Escalera is trying to figure out a way to help companies make that a more equitable situation. As always, we so appreciate you sending us questions. Our email address, askjill at jillonmoney.com. And you can always go to the website, jillonmoney.com. There we have a contact button. Today, Saturday, you might start seeing a bunch of people. Don't forget to wash your hands and wear your masks and maintain your physical distancing and lift somebody up today if you wouldn't mind. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.